Well, good morning. It is great to have a sermon title like Light Shining on a morning which uh, was quite dark when I got up. Um, sun came up around 8 a.m., so this time of year, of course, we experience darkness, and sometimes we feel that darkness invades the world that we live in. We're talking about light shining today. In chapters 4 through 6 of Ephesians, Paul's talking about walking in a manner worthy of a, our calling, the calling to which we've been called. And we discover that our calling is lived out in the realm of relationships in the home, family, workplace, church. Christianity addresses real life. In chapter 4, verses 23 to 24, Paul calls us to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. He says that we are to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. In those verses, he says that we have put off the old self, that we have put on the new self. We're a new creation, and so it changes the way that we think, the way that we act, the way that we behave, the way that we make choices. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25 through 5-2, we studied that passage a few weeks ago. Paul says we can actually make a choice. We can choose to grieve God and allow bitterness to take root in our souls. We can give a foothold to the enemy and allow corrupting talk to come out of our mouths and by doing that smell like bad fish. Or we can choose to imitate God. We can walk in love. We can forgive out of love. We can speak the truth in love. We can make sacrifices out of love. And by doing that, be a fragrant aroma to God. What a contrast. Today's passage, which is Ephesians 5, verses 3 through 14, it shows us what the renewal of the mind looks like in the world or the realm of sexuality. The Christian faith is very practical. And it's a very hopeful word. In Canada today, of course, there are many different understandings around this theme of sexuality. The elevation of self, the the relentless pursuit of sexual pleasure has eroded whatever foundation we had as a society in the scriptures. Sexual activity has become the domain of the self, with or without another person committed or uncommitted, heterosexual or otherwise. And what's happening in the world around us at some level impacts all of us. In recent weeks, the North American media has just been filled with conversation about sexual behavior, what is appropriate, what is inappropriate. How do we speak about our sexuality? What is appropriate, what is inappropriate? Stories from university campuses, stories about political candidates, journalists weighing in. But this morning, it's not not about them, it's about us. It's about you and I. How should we think about ourselves in Christ? How should we view each other? How should we relate to each other? How should we talk about one another? What kind of world was Paul writing to? Well, we have good reason to believe that Paul was writing to the church in Ephesus or churches in Ephesus. 
Some believe that this letter to the Ephesians was a circular letter that would have gone to different regions of Asia Minor, the province of Asia Minor, and that may be true. But Ephesus certainly represents what that world looked like. It was the capital of the province of Asia Minor. In that province, many different gods and goddesses were worshipped. But the goddess that was most worshipped in Asia Minor and in Ephesus was Artemis. She was called Artemis by the Greeks, Diana, by the Romans. She was worshipped everywhere, in large temples, at private shrines. Ephesus was the epicenter of Artemis' worship. There was a massive temple larger than a football field. It was one of the seven wonders of the world. It dominated the architecture of that city. It dominated the religious imagination of the Ephesians. People came from all over Asia Minor and the empire to worship Artemis in Ephesus. She was worshipped by eunuch priests, by virgin priestesses, by religious prostitutes. Orgies were a regular part of the worship of Artemis. So this is the world that Paul is writing to. The Ephesian believers, they were formed by this society. It shaped their worldview. It shaped the way that they thought about themselves, the way that they made choices, the way that they behaved, the way that they related to each other. And Paul says to the Ephesians, you've been saved from that world. Ephesians 2 verse 1, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved. You were a part of that world, but you've been made alive in Christ. By grace, you have been saved. A truth for the Ephesians, a truth for us. And now in the passage that we will read today, Ephesians 5, 3 through 14, Paul's main point is, hey, you were darkness, now walk as children of light. Let's read it. Chapter 5, verse 3. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible, 
For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. In the verse just prior to this text, chapter 5, verse 2, Paul talks about making sacrifices out of love, and the supreme example of that love is Jesus himself. And now in this passage, he talks about the polar opposite of that love, self-indulgence out of lust. When we find the words that we find in verse 3, sexual immorality, impurity, and covetousness, when we see them linked together, they're all talking about sexual sin. Sexual immorality is, in the Greek, porneia. We get our word pornography from this word. It's a broad term that embraces all sexual sin, all illicit sexual behavior. So included, we find prostitution, fornication, homosexual practice, adultery, all sexual activity outside of the God-ordained parameters of sexual love. Impurity, it literally means uncleanness, filthiness. And here in this context, it's referring to excessive obsession with sexuality. Covetousness is just a jealous longing for what a person doesn't possess. For example, in the Ten Commandments, God says, don't covet your neighbor's wife. Because of the context here, covetousness, it refers to unrestrained sexual greed. A person just assumes that others exist for his or her gratification. Paul says, these things should not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Well, who are the saints? The saints are all of God's people. Men and women, called by God, redeemed by Christ, those that have chosen to follow Jesus, they are the saints. They have been set apart for holiness, not for sexual immorality, impurity, and covetousness. They've been set apart to imitate God. In fact, he says that these things shouldn't even be a part of our conversation, and they should never be labels that are associated with us. The reality is is that we live in a world of excessive thought around our sexuality. At the peak of Playboy's circulation, the magazine no longer exists because of internet, but at the peak of Playboy's circulation, it had a circulation of about 5.6 million. This was in 1975. In January of this year, January of 2016, In one month alone, there were 107 million visits to online adult sites. That's in one month. That was in the U.S. alone. And so we live in a society where pornography, illicit sexual behavior is pervasive. This is the world we live in. It was true for Ephesus. It's true for us today. Some of the states in the United States are considering pornography to be a public health crisis because of how it shapes people's thinking, their habits, the way that they treat each other. According to one study, 90% of the images that you can view online show women being treated in an aggressive manner, denigrated in some way. And so it dehumanizes women and it 
desensitizes men. Public health crisis. Paul says these things shouldn't even be named among you. He continues in verse 4, Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. Filthiness is just indecent, obscene speech. Foolish talk is unprofitable, wasted words, words that are spoken flippantly around our sexuality. Crude joking is the cheapest form of wit, of wit, sensual jokes that denigrate the image of God in man and woman. Ephesus was known for its flippant orders, those that told dirty jokes that encouraged a context of tolerance, encouraged illicit sexual behavior. Now, in the media, of course, in recent works, weeks, We've heard lots of talk about locker room banter, and some have said, well, it's just words. It's just talk. No, it's not just words. Jesus says, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. What we say reflects what's in our hearts. Words are powerful. They cast an image on people. They hurt people. They denigrate the image of God in people. Paul says... There should be no foolish talk. There should be no crude joking among you. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. Why thanksgiving? Why would he focus on thanksgiving here? Well, gratitude for God's goodness to us is the antidote to jealous desire for what we don't have. Thanksgiving centers in God, in his goodness. When our hearts are filled with gratitude... Our hearts are open to the light of Christ shining on us. We recognize that God is our creator, that he's our life giver, that he's our sustainer, that we don't need sexual immorality and impurity to live. We realize that we've received all of the spiritual blessings of chapter one. We've been called, we've been redeemed, we've been set apart called from before the foundation of the world for holiness, not for sexual immorality. We're filled with gratitude in our hearts. We're conscious of God's goodness, and it frees us from an idolatrous obsession with sex. We understand that our sexuality is God's gift to us, and we have absolutely no desire to denigrate the image of God in our own life or the life of another. And so words of praise and thanksgiving flow from our hearts because of God's goodness to us. He is our life. Now, it's interesting if you reflect a bit on temptation to elicit sexual behavior. Often, the temptation comes in those moments when we think that In some measure, God has not been good enough to us. Something has been kept from us. We owe it to ourselves. We deserve it. And that's why Paul says, may there be words of thanksgiving on your lips. Have God at your center. Focus on him. And you will be freed from the idolatrous obsession with sex around you. Walk as children of light by speaking the language of thanksgiving. That will bring healing. healing. 
And then chapter 5, verse 5, he says, You may be sure of this. You may be certain that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, there's those three words again, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. Paul just puts it out there. All sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness, it's idolatry. Why would he say that? Well, sexual lust, what it does is it elevates the object to a place that only God should occupy in our hearts. We begin to think that an image or a person will give us the life that only God could give us. We worship the created thing instead of our creator. That's the lie of illicit sexual behavior. The lie is that somehow it will give us life. Daryl Johnson writes, when the age does not build upon the living God, the age builds on idols. And our age is an age that builds on idols. The choice is either or, the living God or lifeless idols. Any age built on idols will be marked by profound worry. Is that one of the reasons why we have so much anxiety and worry in our culture today? Because we've taken our eyes off of the center of life, God himself who is life, and we are looking for life in idols. The human spirit implicitly knows idols cannot, in the final analysis, hold it all together. Idols will never hold it together for us. And so Paul says, let your language be graced with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving places God in his rightful place, at the center, our life, our life giver. And idolatry is just the opposite. He writes, idolaters have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. What does he mean by that? Does every person that has ever had an immoral thought or committed an immoral deed, are they condemned? Well, as followers of Jesus, we fail. We have moments of failure. But because the light of Christ is shining on us, we repent, we humble ourselves, we turn from sin. We cry out to God for mercy and we allow the light of Christ to shine on us. In verses 5 through 7, Paul is talking about people who practice sexual immorality, who practice impurity without any shame, without any repentance, and they encourage others to do the same. They actually consider illicit sexual practice to be light, to be life-giving. Their lifestyle clearly demonstrates that they have never submitted to the rule of Christ. That's why Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Sexual, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. 
So if we're in Christ, we are heirs of the kingdom of Christ. We understand that we were chosen from before the foundation of the world for holiness, chosen to be light, not to be sexually immoral, impure, and covetousness. We've been washed, justified, sanctified for purity. We understand that we're living for our eternal inheritance. We have our eyes focused on it. We pray that the eyes of our hearts will be enlightened so that we'll understand the glorious riches of our inheritance in Christ. We live for the praise of God's glory. We want God to be known, for God's light to shine. Now, the problem is that the darkness of our world lures us. That's why Paul provides a warning here. He says, let no one deceive you. Don't let anyone mislead you. The lure of our environment is powerful. Don't let anyone mislead you with empty, hollow apologies for illicit behavior. Well, that's just the way we are. It's just human nature. It's just boy talk. It's just girl talk. Ephesus was known for this kind of thinking, (laughs) It was known for what's called sophistries. It's tricky ways of reasoning, reasoning that justified sexual permissiveness. For example, one of the things that was commonly believed was that, hey, what you do with your body has no impact on your soul. Do with your body whatever you want. That's why Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 15, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For, as it is written, the two, shall be, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Paul urges the Corinthians to flee from it. Verse 6 of Ephesians 5, Paul says, Because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Why the wrath of God? Well, because these things define sin. (laughs) Sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness, crude, joking, foolish talk, they define sin. Self Centeredness, self-indulgence, idolatrous self-indulgence, the use of other people for one's own ends, the treatment of people as if they are not his creation, as if they're just objects to be used, the perversion of the sacred, the outright defiance of the created order. This defines sin, and a good and loving and just God can only judge such behavior now and at the end of time. That's why Paul warns in verse 7, therefore do not become partners with them. You cannot engage in this kind of behavior and remain unscathed, he says to the Ephesians. Paul's not saying avoid all contact with unbelievers. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying don't bond with them. Do not bond with the sexually immoral. Walk as children of light by refusing to bond with Darkness. Don't become partners with them. Pornography is said to be more addictive than cocaine. Why is that stated? 
Well, a neurochemical bond is formed between the pleasure experienced and the stimulus that was provided. And what Scripture would teach us, or does teach us, is that we are to be bonded to God. (laughs) That is our first bond. If Jesus is our life, then our bond is with Him. And if we are married, then we are bonded to our spouse. We are not to be bonded to a pornographic image or a person outside of marriage. The same word for partner is used in Ephesians 3, 6. And there Paul says to believers, hey, we are partakers of the promises of God. We are in Christ. The Spirit of God now abides within us. That is our partnership. We are bonded with God. Bonding with a prostitute or a pornographic image is not our inheritance. Paul says in verse 8, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. You were darkness. You were futile in your thinking. You were darkened in your understanding. Yes, you were alienated from the life of God. You were calloused in your heart. You were hardened. But that's who you were. You are now light. Because of your union with Christ, your light, not just surrounded by light, you are light. Often we say this about ourselves, we're sinners saved by grace. And we are sinners saved by grace. But we must also see ourselves in this positive light that Paul writes about here. We are light in the Lord. We've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. We've been made alive in Christ. Our bond is with him. Is it possible to live this? We're all susceptible to the messages, to the images that bombard us, no matter what our age. Half of our children will be exposed to pornography before the age of 13. We're susceptible every day. Every day that we open up our computer, there are links, there are sites that we can visit. We have to be proactive. We can make choices. This is the good news of the gospel. It's so easy in this realm of sexuality to think that, oh, it just happens to us. We're just passive. It happened to me. Unfortunately, my thoughts just lingered. Unfortunately, I was drawn. Paul urges us, don't partner with it. Don't bond with it. Be proactive. Walk as children of light by refusing to bond with darkness. The sad thing about illicit sexual behavior is that it just saps the spiritual life out of us. It paralyzes us. If you have ever fallen in this area, then you can identify with these thoughts. You've fallen and you think, well, who am I to pray? (laughs) Who am I to share my faith with anyone? Who am I to serve in the name of Christ if this is what I live? And that's exactly where the enemy wants us, paralyzed, immobilized, believing that we are not worthy to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. Paul says at the end of verse 8, walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Walk as children of light. Who is the light? 
Who defines for us what is good and right and true? Well, Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. John chapter 1, verse 9, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. If we are children of God, then it's because we've received Jesus, the light. And the word became flesh, John 1.14, and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. And so we can know what the light looks like. Jesus defines goodness, righteousness, truth. The fruit of his light is the fruit of the Spirit, and that fruit is to mark our lives. That's why Paul writes to the Ephesians, hey, you've been created in Christ Jesus for good works, for goodness. You're created after the likeness of God in true righteousness, and so what we see in Jesus is to be true for us. We've put away falsehood and speak the truth in love. How does this fruit of the Spirit become a part of our lives? Well, by focusing on Jesus. Abiding in Him, John 17, 3 says that eternal life is knowing God and knowing the one who was sent, Jesus Christ. And so when we abide in Jesus, when we come to know Him, when we relate intimately to Him, when Jesus is our life, we are set free from all of the lies of darkness. Jesus is the best antidote to sexual immorality. We're set free by focusing on the light. Paul says in verse 10 of Ephesians 5, discern what is pleasing to the Lord. What's pleasing to Jesus? The word discern, it means to learn from, to discover. Well, we gaze on the light of Jesus and we begin to understand what it means to be human. How did Jesus live? Well, he was fully alive. Can you imagine a person more alive than Jesus? And yet he was a celibate male. He did not need sexual interaction, engagement to be alive. One of the lies of darkness is that in order to be alive, you need to be sexually active. It's not true. Jesus was fully alive. He was whole. He experienced intimacy and relationships. He defines love for us. He did not take from others. He did not covet. He poured out his life for others. What did he teach about sexuality? The Pharisees come to him with a question about divorce. And Jesus says in Matthew 19, verse 4, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Pharisees come with a question, and Jesus goes right back to the creation mandate. He goes back to Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 and 28. He actually quotes Genesis 2, verse 24, and he teaches that at its heart, marriage is a unique 
sacred union. It is one man, one woman coming together to be one flesh. He's not confused. It's a bonded relationship. And the intimacy of this marriage union, it demands faithfulness for life. And adultery adultery violates that sacred union. He even goes beyond this in Matthew chapter 5, 27 and 28. And he says, if you look at another person and lust after that person, you commit adultery in your heart. Jesus understands the created order. He understands a man and a woman coming together in a bonded union. A couple married for life, committed to one another. How does he treat women? I um, remember being in conversation with a friend of mine who had been, was living in another culture and she felt that In that culture, she as a woman was not being valued. She felt like a second-class citizen. And she was struggling with the way that she was being treated, her own self-image. And so she started to read the Gospels. She poured over the Gospels, asking the question, Jesus, how do you see me? And as she read through the Gospels, she observed how Jesus related to the Samaritan woman how he spoke to the woman caught in adultery, how he let a woman wash his feet, how a woman came and anointed him for burial, how Jesus considered his own mother when he was on the cross. As she looked at Jesus, the light of the world, she came to an understanding of how God saw her, and she was healed. We are to learn from the life of Jesus. Gaze on his light. We are to learn from his teaching. We are to apply the wisdom of Christ to our daily lives. Allow it to shape our understanding of who we are as men and women. Paul says, walk as children of light by learning from the light. Jesus, learn from the light. Discern what is pleasing to the Lord. And then Paul says in verse 11, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. One of the marks of sexual immorality is that it happens in the dark, in the hidden place. It thrives on secrecy. Paul says, do not partake in these works that are unfruitful, that are dead, that are sterile, that will never give you life. Instead, expose them. That word expose, it means to bring to light, to convince. If we are in the light and we work in the world, then just by being in the room, by being present, light will radiate by the way that we think, by the way that we talk, by the way that we relate to other men and women. Light will shine just by being there. And it will come through in our conversation. And we as believers, as men and women, we need to have trusted friends that we can talk with, be transparent with, be accountable to. People that will help us walk in the light. 
people with whom we can have the hard conversations, but do that with humility, with love, with gentleness, with patience. Paul says, walk as children of light by exposing the darkness. And then, in verses 13 and 14, a wonderful word. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This quotation here, it's not a reference taken out of an Old Testament passage. It's a free adaptation of a number of verses, probably probably Isaiah 60, verse 1, Isaiah 26, verse 19. Many commentators believe that these phrases come from a, a hymn, a hymn that was sung when new converts were being baptized. And so the new convert went into the water, dying to the former life. And the new convert came out of the water, arising to new life, the light of Christ shining on his or her life. And the call being sung by the congregation was, Arise! Awake, O sleeper! Arise, and Christ will shine on you. Yield to the resurrection power that's now a part of your life. You see, if we are in Christ, we've been made alive. We've been regenerated, reborn. We have the mind of Christ. Our minds are being renewed. We've been illumined by the Holy Spirit. And where the Spirit is, there's freedom. This is the wonderful news of the gospel is that we don't need to be passive and just allow things to happen to us. We do not need to allow the world around us to shape us, to form us, to determine how we see ourselves, how we see each other. We can allow the light of Christ to shine on us and we can think anew, understand ourselves in the light of Christ, see each other in a completely new way. Because of God's goodness to us, his generosity to us, the Holy Spirit is present within us. And so Paul says, walk as children of light by yielding to resurrection power. Arise. We can walk in a manner worthy of our calling. By speaking the language of thanksgiving. By refusing to bond with darkness. By focusing on the light, Jesus himself by exposing the darkness and yielding to resurrection power. And so the call of the text to me and to you is, arise, arise, recognize the power of the light that has saved us. May we choose to live by it. It is possible. May the light of Christ shine on us ever more brightly. Amen? Let's stand for prayer. So, Lord, as we read through this text and just meditate on who you are and who we are, we recognize that we do fall short of our calling in many places. And yet you encourage us. You say that we are to walk in a manner worthy of our calling because it is possible in you. 
Thank you that we can come to you as our Savior, as our Lord. Thank you that we can repent, that we can turn from sin and turn to you. Thank you that you are full of grace and truth, and so you do speak truth to us by your Spirit, but you also come with words of grace and healing. I pray for myself, I pray for us as your church, Lord. May we be healed by your truth. You are the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus, as we focus on you today, this week, may your light shine on us ever more brightly. May we be light at home, at work, at school, wherever we are. May your light shine on us and through us for your glory. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you.